Well, allow me to, to state the obvious. This is weird. Live streaming masses from the Newman Catholic Center here at Montclair State has been weird. Seeing a box of palm branches arrive and remembering our annual debate, how much is too much or too little, and saying now for sure it's way too much is weird. Proclaiming the passion by myself is weird. And just seeing church doors shuttered everywhere and all of us having to interact virtually is weird. More than that, from talking to lots and lots of people, there's a lot of people suffering. There's people who are sick from the coronavirus right now, those that are seriously sick, or those who are just getting diagnosed and maybe aren't very sick, but feeling very anxious and very worried and feeling very isolated. One person said to me that when they were diagnosed and they told some friends and families this troubling news, the reaction they received made them say, well, I have a new understanding of how the lepers in the Gospels felt, and I can tell you, Father, it really stinks. They use a different term, but you get the drift. There are people who've lost loved ones, whether from this virus or other causes, and their families can't even be together to grieve. Friends can't be there to support them. You have doctors and nurses, people in healthcare. You have cops and firefighters and rescue workers, all those who don't have the luxury of distance working or abiding by stay-at-home orders, who are on the front lines putting themselves in far greater danger than they already do in care of others. And then you have people who are staying at home, those who are aware that there are people out there struggling with a whole multitude of serious issues, so they feel guilty about the fact that they're worried about their finances, or they're worried about things that haven't happened, but they fear might, or they're just feeling cabin fever and feeling on edge and are ready to snap. It's hard to recall a time when there's been this kind of widespread level of suffering on such a universal level for this great amount of time. Add to that at the time when there's this much suffering that people can't be in the place where they turn to the most at those times, their, their parish churches, it makes us even harsher and even more difficult to wrap our minds around. And that it coincides now, this time, this season, makes this a holy week like none other. As Catholics, we don't ever shy away from or dismiss or try to sugarcoat suffering. It's one of the fundamental things that can differentiate Catholic Christian theology from some of our other Christian brothers and sisters. It's why we normally have a a crucifix instead of an empty cross or an image of the resurrected Jesus front and center in our churches. We know Jesus is fully divine. We recognize that his resurrection is the game changer, that human history is forever changed by Easter. But Jesus accomplishes that through a very human life, which encompassed very human things, most especially human suffering. That through his passion, which we've just heard proclaimed, through his cross, through his death, he not only took on all the sin, but all the brokenness of humanity and was victorious over that. But he also gave us that as a pattern to follow, that when we're in pain, when we're in suffering, we can unite our suffering to his. Very beautifully, the church has taught us that Christ not only allows himself to be touched by the sick, but he makes their miseries his own. 
By his passion and death on the cross, Christ has given new meaning to suffering. It can henceforth configure us to him and unite us with his redemptive passion. So on our part, suffering in union with the passion of Christ acquires a new meaning. It becomes a participation in the saving work of Jesus. So now, more than ever, we should make this a holy week like none other. Rather than our shutting down, rather than giving into discouragement, I can't go to Mass. Rather than giving into the lies from the devil telling you that you can't fully participate in Mass because going online, it's not the same. No, it's not. It's not the same. It's in a sense taking even greater effort for you to create some sacred space in your homes and in your hearts and your minds and connecting virtually. And then we can prepare ourselves to truly take all of our sufferings, whatever they might be, not comparing them to anyone else's, not putting it on a sliding scale to determine whether you have a right to feel badly or not, because that's just a distraction. Whatever suffering you're experiencing, whether it's a physical thing or it's an emotional pain or it's any and everywhere in between, entering to this holy week and uniting that to Christ's suffering. And it's from that point, as we unite ourselves with Jesus, that one line more than any other stands out from that lengthy passion that we just proclaimed. Jesus uttering the words from the cross, which we had done earlier in the responsorial psalm. The words, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I imagine that people hearing that and using those words today felt they were more relatable than ever as they imagine all that they are going through, all that we all are going through. Those words probably resonate and reverberate in our hearts more and louder than ever they have before. And we imagine the tortured, dying Jesus crying them out, and we feel the immensity of that moment, possibly more than we've ever done in our lives. But there's an essential point to that utterance. As we unite ourselves to Christ and we can relate to that isolation, that desperation, the pain, and the suffering of that moment of that passion, there's a lot more than Jesus' feelings of abandonment. He probably felt that and felt a lot more than that. But more importantly, though, Jesus knows and wants us to know that feelings are not the full story. Feelings are important, and we need to acknowledge them and be respectful of them. But especially in moments of extreme emotion, we really need to dig deeper and not let them get the best of us, which is what Jesus was doing. As Jesus was uttering those words, he was telling us of something far greater, that it's okay to feel that, but don't stay there. Don't let those feelings change who you are and what you believe, what you know especially when it comes to God, our loving Father who looks at us as his beloved sons and daughters. Because when Jesus utters that phrase, he's not fixating on one sentence from Psalm 22. He's in a sense citing that one sentence to bring to his heart and his mind the entire Psalm. Kind of like when we as Americans hear the words four score and seven years ago, and we immediately recall the Gettysburg Address given by President Abraham Lincoln in the midst of the Civil War. Or when we hear the words, I have a dream, and that summons to mind Dr. Martin Luther King in his epic speech 
conged an end to racism in our nation. Well, that's what's happening from the cross. Jesus is summoning that entire psalm, which, yes, acknowledges that sense of abandonment, but it doesn't stay there. It doesn't end there. It ends with words of faith, of trust, a conviction, of triumph. So we need to summon that full psalm as Jesus was doing and hear what else Jesus believed at that very moment about his loving father as he was making those words his. Where the psalm continues, he is not spurned or disdained the misery of this poor wretch. He did not turn away from me, but he heard me when I cried out. I will offer you praise in the great assembly. My vows I will fulfill before those who fear him. The poor will eat their fill. Those who seek the Lord will offer praise. And I will live for the Lord. My descendants will serve you. The generation to come will be told of the Lord that they may proclaim to a people yet unborn the deliverance that you have brought. Those are hardly words of defeat. Those were the words that Jesus was recalling as he lay dying, knowing that this suffering wasn't his full story, that his death was not an end, that this act of evil which consumes him on the cross would not stand. My brothers and sisters, we too can make this a holy week like none other if we remember what Jesus taught us, if we remember what he has shown us and what he continues to speak to us of our God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He so desperately loves each and every one of us that he unites with us in our passions, in our crucifixions. He speaks to us in the boldest and loudest of terms that as the evil of the world crashes down on us, when we feel abandoned, when we feel rejected by those who we thought were nearest and dearest to us in those trials, our loving God spares not his most prized possession his son, Jesus Christ. In uttering those few words of that psalm, Jesus assures us that we've not been abandoned. Quite the opposite. By Jesus stretching out his own arms on the cross for our sins, he unites himself with us, with you and I, and all the sufferings of all humanity for all eternity. May those words of the psalm remain cemented in our minds just as those great speeches of American heroes did, but with the true meaning, the true message of the psalm, which is radically made evident on the cross of Jesus for us, proclaiming for all eternity that, in fact, our God, our God, has never, nor will ever, abandon us.